At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. In the 1980s, Carl Sagan wrote and produced a show called Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. And every show started with the same words. The cosmos is all that there is, all that there was, and all that there ever will be. They would explore the wonders of the universe, the stars, the galaxies, the beautiful nature of the planets and stars, and their conclusion is that all of this beauty and all of the brilliance and all of the majesty is here by chance. That it's time plus matter plus chance that gives us everything we see and feel and experience. Is that right? That reminded me of a story of Sir Isaac Newton. I don't know if you've heard this story, but he had a skillful mechanic build a replica, a model of the solar system, and he had a gilded ball that represented the sun in the center of the model, and then he had varying shapes of balls that were around the sun on arms, on levers, um, and, and all of the balls and levers were attached to cogs and gears and belts that could be turned by a crank, and when you turned the crank, all of those planets would revolve around the sun in perfect harmony. One day, a friend of his visited. It was an atheistic pagan friend, and he came into the home, and he saw this model sitting on the table. He was quite mesmerized by it, and, and he saw it, and he, and he loved it, and he said, who built this? Newton was sitting nearby reading a book, and without taking his eyes off the book, he said, nobody. The friend said, well, no, I don't, I don't think you understood what my question. Who built this model of the solar system? Newton looked up from his book and said, nobody. The balls and the arms and the cogs and the belts and the, wheel, and the wheels and everything just randomly flew together and voila, there's the model of the solar system. And of course, his friend got upset and, and started to protest. And, and Newton held up a hand and said, hang on, let me explain. If you can't believe that these balls and arms and cogs and belts and crank just randomly f came together to form this model replica of the solar system, then how is it that you can believe that everything that we see here in touch, that the design and complexity of the cosmos happened by chance? Hmm, good question, isn't it? We're starting, well, we started a sermon series last week called Essentials, Why Truth Matters. Does truth matter? Well, the rest of our society would say differently, wouldn't it? The society that we live in, which is hyper-individualistic, says that there is no absolute truth. There is no objective truth. That I'm just going to live my way and you live your way, and as long as your way doesn't interfere with my way, we're going to be okay, right? Like your way never interferes with my way, right? That never happens, right? Especially not in Lapeer. 
And so we live in a society that says, as long as I can live within this little fake bubble that I create, and as long as my world works for me and your world works for you, we're going to get along just fine. And we come up with these ideas that say that as long as I can do me and you can do you, we're okay. And we come up with all kinds of frameworks to make sense of that kind of thinking. One of those frameworks is relativism. We think that, you know, you can make up your truth and I can make up mine. Let's see how well that works for you when you decide that on a one-way street, you're going to ignore the sign and go the wrong way. How long do you think that's going to last? Till one of you decide that 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 sign means one way and you come the other way. Relativism crashes and burns against the weight of its own claims. Relativism doesn't work either. There's subjectivism, where I define truth based on what I feel. And my emotions. I mean, after all, in the, aren't the things that I feel real? Every guy has heard that, haven't we? Every husband for sure. My feelings and my emotions are what define my truth. You know, I'm colorblind. Most of you don't know that, but that's okay. I'm colorblind. So when I say something is green, my family laughs at me because it's usually not. <laughs> it's usually red or brown or some other color. And so when I'm picking out clothing for me to wear. Uh, trust me, this didn't come because I chose this. My wife did. She's in the back somewhere. Um, and it happens that no matter what color I say something is, it's usually not right. No matter how much subjective truth I hold on to, the color that I say it is, isn't. Maybe you're not colorblind. That doesn't work for you. Suppose you're standing at the edge of the cliff and you decide that today you want to fly. That you want to be like Mike and you want to fly. If you don't know that reference, you can Google it. And you step off. What do you think is going to happen? Will subjectivism help you? No, you see, subjectivism will crash and burn when it meets against an unstoppable, unstoppable force called gravity. Does truth matter? Absolutely it does. And that's why we are spending the next several weeks looking through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a concise, succinct, crisp summary of the truth found in God's Word. The Creed is not the truth. The God's Word is truth. Amen? And God's Word can be summarized and synthesized into some quick Simple, easy-to-remember statements that summarize the truth that we find in God's Word. And so we have, last week, started this Essentials series to explore truth and why truth matters. In fact, this is how Dutch Reformed theologian, a man named Herman Bavnik, put it. He said, He, that is God, God is the truth in its absolute fullness. He is therefore the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth, the truth in all truths. God is the source and origin, the knowledge of truth in all areas of life. So in a world that is overrun with subjectivism and relativism, in a world that seems to be overrun with deception, God's word stands as an antidote and a stark contrast to the society we live in that says there is objective truth and that objective truth is found right here. We don't have to go looking for it under a rock. It's right here. In the pages of Scripture, we find truth. Last week, we started this series and we looked at, I believe, 
in God. This week, we're going to look at the rest of that phrase. That phrase, the entire sentence says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. If we understand that truth, we will really understand the God we worship. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But before we start, we already have a problem. You see, that statement says God is Father. We're already in trouble because we live in a society that doesn't understand its identity, especially its gender identity. We have a world that's telling us that we have 1,600 genders. I don't even know how they got to 1,600. But there goes male and female, but we've got 1,600 of them for you to choose from. Which one do you want to choose? You see, if there's no objective truth, you can choose anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. And already we have a problem. There are denominations and Christian people who are moving to try to delete and remove all masculine references to God, to delete the fact that God is Father. Because they say God is spirit, which is true. That God is neither male nor female. That is also true. And as a result, references to God from an ancient culture that was misogynistic, that subjugated women, and so we should delete all of those references because it's oppressive to women and femininity. Now, before you jump onto that progressive bandwagon, let me explain God Father. We call God Father because the Scriptures remind us that God is Well, every time he references himself, he references himself as a masculine pronoun. Aside from a handful of few feminine qualities or characteristics ascribed to God, every other time it's a masculine pronoun and God refers to himself in that way, that he is a he and not a she. And that stands in stark contrast to the ancient civilizations that surrounded Israel. You realize that every ancient civilization had as their primary deity of worship a goddess. Or at the very least, a goddess who was a a complement to a male god. So no matter where you look, this idea of God being father or God being masculine didn't come from the societies or the religions of the pagan world around Israel. In fact... Simon Chan, in an article written for Christianity Today titled, Why We Call Father, God Father, says it this, this way. Israel's idea of God's fatherhood bucked a common trend in the ancient world. Hence, it could not have been an Israelite invention, but rather the result of a long history of living under the revelation of God. It is the church's continuity with this narrative of Israel that would eventually lead to the uniquely Christian doctrine of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? We call God Father because it identifies and clarifies the teaching of the Trinity. That God is one in essence and three in person. That God has forever coexisted equally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God the Father means that God has existed eternally as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son. Are you with me? You didn't think you had to come think today, did you? The Trinity is one of the reasons why He is Father. By the way, Jesus refers to God as 
Father. Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, what does he say? When you pray, say our... You know, you know God is never, ever called mother in Scripture, ever. But he is called Father. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We refer to God as Father because Jesus called God Father, and God calls himself Father, and God references himself in masculine pronouns, and if God does that, we have no right to change that, do we? And the church said, okay, if you are lost, come see me after service. I will help you understand this. Because understanding this is vital in a culture that doesn't understand this. That God is Father. And by the way, because He is Father, He created a universe. And He placed you and me in His creation. And even though we sinned and came short of the glory of God, God pursued us and loved us and redeemed us. You realize redemption is what a father who loves his children does. Redemption is what a loving God, a loving father does who wants to bring his children back into a right relationship with him. That's what a father does and that's what God did for you and for me. Amen? And so that's why I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a very stark contrast to the rest of the world that doesn't understand that. And because he is Father and creator of the universe, friends, we can worship him. We can trust him. And we can give our lives to him knowing that he loves each and every one of us. By calling him Father, it means he's not distant and impersonal, but he's imminent, which means close. And he's intimately involved in your life and mine. He knows us intimately, he loves us intimately, and he gave his son for us to redeem us and bring us into a relationship with him where we become his children and he is our father. You realize we have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus does, right? That we have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus does, all because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And so, this morning, in order to explore the rest of that creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I invite you to turn to Psalm 33, where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Now, I've taken up half our time just prepping you for Psalm 33. So we're going to fly through Psalm 33. But Psalm 33, the psalmist sings a song of praise and gives us several reasons why we should praise and worship God and God alone. <coughs> why, <coughs> excuse me, why do we worship God and God alone? Well, the psalmist gives us three reasons in this song that stir our heart to worship him. And the first is because his power is seen in making all things by his word. We worship God and God alone because his power is seen in making all things by his word. I'm in Psalm 33, starting in verse number 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. We don't know who wrote Psalm 33, but I have a guess. You see, I think Psalm 33 is closely related to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written by David. It's a song that cries out his repentance to God for the events with Bathsheba and his cry of thanksgiving to a God who forgave him. And I think Psalm 33 is the response of David to the forgiveness he received in Psalm 32. In fact, if you look at how Psalm 32 ends, notice how it ends. Psalm 32 ends with these words, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's a psalmist who is in absolute thanksgiving over what God has done. Notice how Psalm 33 begins. Shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. That's nearly identical language. It's almost as if, though, there's a carryover into Psalm 33. For the thanks of forgiveness of sin, we shout to the Lord. Notice, the David, as I'm going to call him, David, the psalmist, says in verse 1, Shout to the Lord, all you righteous. When's the last time you shouted? Maybe this morning at your kids, getting ready to come. Maybe you shouted at your spouse. Let's hope you didn't. When do we shout? When do we shout, church? When you're happy, when things are going well, when your team scores a touchdown, or you're going to throw something at the TV because Michigan State lost. I mean, that was awful. And so we shout. Or we're angry. David says, shout for joy in the Lord. Why? Because we are in the Lord. Do you understand? It is because of God that we shout. Because of what he's done, we shout. Because of the joy he's given us, we shout. And because he won, we... No, we don't like to shout. We're too proper for shouting. We here in Lapeer don't raise our voice beyond this level. Even with our children, we don't shout. We're very proper. We're so sophisticated, we're refrigerated. And yet every one of us has shouted. Every one of us has lifted up our voice. Every one of us, whether in anger or gladness, has raised our voice. And the psalmist David says, I'm going to rewind the tape and we're going to try that again. Did you hear yourself? Let me just rewind and remind you why you're shouting. He paid the price. He saved you and me. He did it all. And he has taken us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light through his son and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the psalmist David says that those who are in Christ... Oh, that's right. You see, angels in heaven should stop what they're doing and say, what's going on in Lapeer? Because we are in the Lord and we... You're going to have that opportunity a couple of times during this service, all right? You can only shout if there's joy in your heart. You can only shout if your sins have been forgiven. You can only shout 
if the Lord resides on the throne of your heart. And if you are in the Lord, we shout. Notice in verses 4 and 5, David says, we shout because God is faithful in everything he does. His motives are pure. He loves us with a steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, if you've been in church long enough, you know that comes from the Hebrew word chesed. i got to cover my mouth when I say that. I'm going to spit all over you. Chesed. You know, chesed is the Old Testament version of the New Testament word agape. It's a love that never fails. It's unswerving. It's unfaltering. It's unending that God loves us in our badness, in our goodness, in our ups, and in our doubts. It's a love that never fails, never gives up, never ends, always loving, covenantal, loyal love. And that is why we told you you'd have a chance. Because he's faithful. Faithful to love us when we're unlovable. Faithful to be with us when we're not good to be with. When we've messed up and come short of his glory, he loves us even when we've messed up so bad. He loves us with a covenantal, loyal love. Notice not only that, that, But that covenantal loyal love caused God to create the universe. In verse number 6, you notice, how did God create the universe? He spoke it into being. I can't speak to save my life. I can't speak anything to get my children to obey anything. I can't speak anything into existence. Can you? And yet God said, let there be light and there was He spoke by the word of his power. Now, next week, we're going to touch on that word because that word you find in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Let's try that again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with, and the word was, and who is that church? Jesus. That's Jesus. By the word of his power. We'll get to that next week. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But this week, we understand that God the Father Almighty made the heavens and the earth by the word of his power. He spoke it, and it came into being. And you realize that the sun, moon, and stars, and the entire cosmos continue to stay in their orbit and do what it was created to do because God said so. And it's still, to this day, thousands of years later, still continues to obey God's word and God's voice. That's why we shout. And when we look at the wonder of creation all around us, when we look at the beauty of what God has created, when we look at a lake surrounded by a forest and we hear the birds chirp, what reaction does it cause in us? How many of you have been to the Niagara Falls? What was your first reaction when you stood at the edge And you watch those millions of gallons of water crashing down the side of that cliff to the rocks below. What was your reaction? Or perhaps you've been to the Grand Canyon and you see at the edge that gorge that splits the earth for as far as the eye can see. What was your reaction? You couldn't say anything, could you? You just stood with your mouth open and said, Oh, beautiful magnificent. And that's just the stuff we can see here. Think of the vastness of the universe. 
Do you realize how big the universe is? That God spoke into being? Here's how somebody explained it. This isn't unique to me. Someone said it this way. If the distance, well, let me start again. The distance between the earth and the sun is, anybody know? Nobody in school. Okay. It's 93 million miles. Okay? 93 million miles. If that distance was represented by the thickness of a sheet of paper, you all have a sheet of paper around you. If you've got a bulletin, eh, it's close. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, was represented by the thickness of a sheet of paper, do you know that the sun and its distance to the next nearest star would be a stack of sheets of paper 70 feet tall? The distance between the sun and the end of our Milky Way galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles long. That would be between here, this campus, and the start of the state of Kentucky. 310 miles. I looked it up. That's just the Milky Way galaxy. Do you realize the Milky Way galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe? <laughs> And yet God spoke it into being. And when he spoke it, it was so. And it was by the power of his word that he brought all of the universe into existence. And so next time you look up at the night sky and you see all those pinpricks of light piercing the sky and the tapestry that God has woven, I don't know about you, but all I can do is say with the psalmist in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I think of the heavens and the moon and stars which you have put in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? All I can do is fall on my knees and I worship the grandeur, the greatness, the majesty, the excellence of a God who spoke it into being. And so if you're in Christ and you recognize that he is creator of heaven and earth and he lives inside you, the psalmist David tells us to? Oh, we've lost half of you. It's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. We worship God because his power is seen in making all things by his word. The second reason we worship God and God alone is because his wisdom is seen in carrying out his eternal plans. Notice verse number 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. You know, you and I, we make plans. We make plans what to do over spring break. Many of us are staying home. Or what we'll do over the summer. Or what we'll do for Thanksgiving. Or what we'll do for Christmas. What we'll buy our kids or not buy our kids for Christmas. And we do that. We make plans. And some of us have one-year plans and three-year plans and five-year plans. And I have no plans beyond trying to get through this day. But some of you, you're A-type personalities, and, and you have plans. 
And you've written them down in your goals, and you're still doing the stuff that you promised you'd do on, a, on January 1st. The rest of us aren't. <clears throat> but anyway, we have plans. Corporations have plans. Lots of people have plans. Governments have plans. And we make plans and think that we have the ability and the agency to do all the things that we plan. It's like filling a balloon, inflating. We make plans and we make plans and we make plans and the balloon gets bigger and bigger. And when we're done with our plans, we look at the balloon and we go, wow, isn't that a wonderful plan? And God looks down from heaven and you know what he does? Boop! Where go, there go the plans. Because as soon as our plans contradict the plans of God our Father, maker of heaven and earth, guess who wins? Not us. I'll just hand it for you. It's not us. You see, because God is sovereign. And that's what these verses are telling us, that he has complete control, complete purview, complete control over everything in his creation, everything. It's you, that's me, that's our children, that's our family, that's our government, that's every geopolitical issue, including the weather. God is in control of it all. That's why he is sovereign. That means that no problem, no circumstance, no event has the last say in our lives. God does. God gets the last say. He has the last word because he is, oh, come on, I told you the word already, because he is sovereign. Friends, when we can understand God's sovereignty, it removes worry because he's in control. It removes anxiety because he's still in control. So when we think of all the issues going on in the world and we think we have control, can I just remind you of March 2020 when we had all those wonderful plans and all of a sudden, just like that, they're gone, aren't they? We never had power before. We never had control before either. And guess what? We still don't have power or control. God does. He's always had the power. He's always had the control. And God just took the blindfolds off and showed us how little control we really have. Friends, when we understand the sovereignty of an almighty God, a God who can speak the universe into existence, know that there is nothing on the planet that can thwart his plans. Nations are rising against nations. Tornadoes and earthquakes are ravaging our country and, our, and the world. But guess what? God's still on the throne. His power hasn't waned. His purposes haven't been thwarted. He is sovereign, which means everything, including the number of hairs on your head, are known and when they fall out, assuming you have hair to fall out. He knows because he's sovereign. And nothing can thwart the plans of an almighty God. <clears throat> That's why in verse number 17, it talks about horses. Horses were the ancient History's version of modern-day tanks. You know what verse 17 says? Some trust in tanks. Some trust in aircraft carriers. Some trust in missiles and nukes and munitions and F-16s. But what does the psalmist say? Will any of that save us? Doesn't matter how big your nuclear armament is. Doesn't matter how many troops you can pull in the field. God in heaven laughs. Because he looks at us doing all the things that we're trying to do. And if it's not in his provision and in his sovereign will, none of that's going to happen. So friends, trust God. That he has a plan for you. He has a plan for this world. He has a plan for history. 
And that all of history is marching towards its ultimate end and purpose. A purpose and end he has ordained. That nothing you and I are going to do are going to cause that plan to come to nothing. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your plans. Trust him with your soul. Trust him with everything you've got. Because when we trust him, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to give us all that we need here in this world to bring him glory. Amen? <clears throat> so we worship God because his power is seen in making all things by his word. We worship God and God alone because his wisdom is seen in carrying out his eternal plans. Finally, his Love is seen in delivering those who hope in him. Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Verses 18 and 19 start to close out this psalm. You see, God doesn't work through our plans and our schemes. God works through those who have put their faith and trust in him. God works even when we can't see it. I wish God would just share his plan with me. <laughs> I would be so much better off if God would just explain himself. Like some of the things he does in my life, I'm like, God, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, you, why would you do it that way? Like if you had just asked my opinion, it would have been much better, for me at least. But God doesn't answer my prayer for meaning like that, does he? There's a verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, as an engineer that I hate. You know what it says? <clears throat> the secret plans of a, belong to the Lord our God. I don't like secrets. God, just share them with me. I'm okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. And God says, no. Please? No. And God works in our life in mysterious ways, ways we couldn't possibly imagine. And when we look at the chaos of our world and we see nations rising against nations, <clears throat> and we see all of the chaos in our government, in our states, in the world around us, and we're like, God, are you not paying attention? Like, at what point are you going to, like, stand up and, like, let your enemies be scattered stuff? Come on, Lord, time to wake up. We got stuff going on. Anybody pray like that? Just me? And God is silent because he does not owe me an answer. He doesn't serve me. I serve him. I don't own him. He owns me. And so he has purposes and he has plans. And I am being told by him to set my hope on him. Not on weapons. Not on politicians. Not in my 401k. Definitely don't take it to the bank, please. <clears throat> Set it on him. Set it on him. Because he's the one who's working, even when we can't see it. Don't we sing that song, a song called Waymaker? Even when I don't see it, help me, church, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're, you never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Why? Because even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it, even when we don't understand what's going on and it blows our mind when God shows up, he's working. He's working. 
Can I take you to a story in John chapter 4 very quickly? You don't have to turn there. You can go home and read it. Remember, there was an official who ran to Jesus because his son was sick. And he comes up to Jesus. It took him a day to get there. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, would you just come to my house? Because my son is sick. And if you'd come and pray for him, he'll be healed. And Jesus says to him, go back home. Your son's healed. And Jesus turns and keeps walking. And if that were me, I'd have said, but, but, but God, Jesus, you, you didn't pray. Like, you didn't wave your hands. Like, like you, didn't, you didn't come. You didn't do anything. None of this makes sense. What do you mean turn around and go home? But the Bible says he believed. And he turned around and he went home. And just before he got home, his family ran out the door and met him on the way. And they were happy and they were joyous. Why? Because their son, the father's son, was whole and healthy and safe. And they figured out after they compared notes, that it was at the exact time that Jesus said, turn around and go home, that his son was healed. Friends, we may not see it, but he's working. We may not understand it, but he's working. In your life, in my life, he is orchestrating events and circumstances and people, sickness and health, richness and poorness. He's orchestrating all of that in your life for his glory and your good. Do you believe that, church? So we, you know, that's the way Jesus works. No one understood it when he was arrested at the Mount of Olives. No one understood it when he carried his own cross up Mount Calvary. Nobody understood it when he, on the cross, bleeding from every side, said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Nobody understood it when he died. They were shocked when he rose from the dead. Friends, if you can't understand the plan of salvation, can you imagine the plan God has for you to save you, to redeem you, to bring an end to, to your suffering, to take you home to be with him, that no matter what you're feeling here and now, he's working. It's a great place for an Amen. That's why David says, shout. Can you help me? That's why David says, shout. Because we serve a God who is so worthy of worship and praise. And so what do we do in the meantime? Verse 20 says we wait. Oh, I hate that word. I really, really don't like that word. But verse 20 says, we wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We wait. Wait on God who spoke this creation into existence. We wait on God, who is working behind the scenes, doing things we can possibly never understand. And together with all of the saints, in our ups and in our downs, in our best days and our worst days, we say the conclusion of this psalm in verses 21 and 22, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope. In you, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Friends, I hope you do too. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, then you don't believe that statement. Because the way we know God the Father is through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came into this world to die on a cruel cross, not because he was guilty, because you and I were guilty. We, our sins, our mistakes, our shortcomings, whenever we were short of the glory of God, all of that kept us away from a holy God. And yet Jesus came because he loved us. He wanted to restore a relationship that we didn't deserve back with the Father. He died on a cross, hanging on three nails, shedding his blood, so that those who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. 
you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ by faith, may I introduce Jesus to you. He starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my shortcomings. I'm sorry for all the times I grieved your heart. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me and cleanse me with the precious blood of Jesus Christ? And would you come into my life? And would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? The Bible says, says that if you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And you know what happens? Jesus comes to live within you. You get adopted into his family. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ becomes your father and my father. He becomes our father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. And we aren't destined to end in this world. We're destined for a home that he's bringing, that he's creating to give you and me a place with him for all eternity. Don't miss this chance to put your faith and trust in the only one who can save. Friends, those of you who have put your faith and trust in him, keep trusting. Keep hoping because the God who created the heaven and the earth knows you by name, has you in the palm of his hand, and was promised to carry you into every tomorrow until you see him face to face. Let's live in the confidence that we have knowing he's not done with us yet. He's still working. Amen? Father God, we thank you. Thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you that you are in fact God Almighty, our Father, maker of heaven and earth. May that truth continue to ring in our hearts, continue to sustain us in the ups and the downs of our life. May we continue to trust in your fatherhood, knowing that you love us, you care for us, and you'll take care of us, just as you have promised, just as you have always done. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.